Hey, I'm so glad that you are with us today at our 11 a.m. And man, it's going to be a good time together. How many of you guys, we'll just start off with some honesty on the front end. I think that's good to do. How many of you would say that you have experienced drama before? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, this is a room full of dramatic people, a bunch of drama queens, right? No, we're not creating it. We're just, we're just as a result of decisions. We know what it's like to be in dramatic situations. So what we're doing throughout this series, three weeks, next week we're going to wrap this up, is we're exploring the feelings that we're all going to have because we're people and feelings are are normal. We're going to have these feelings as we interact with others, but we're saying, well, why the drama? You know, if, if, if I feel a certain way, if the drama is the what, what's the why behind it? Why has it led to this? And last week we explored that really big feeling of being unloved, which many of us, we relate to that. Maybe being unloved at home or in our friend circles or at work. And we saw how oftentimes being unloved by someone will cause us to withdraw, to detach, to maybe even despair. And, and then we're going to go look for love somewhere else. And we saw in the life of Jacob how he went looking to fix that piece of love in him through another person. And last week was, was an awesome service. If you weren't here, Boys to Men was here, right? That was awesome. And uh, we just we had a great time together. Uh, today, we're going to dig down even deeper. We're going to keep moving below the surface to explore um, another feeling that we might have. So if you know this phrase, you've heard it before, go ahead and say it with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Okay, who thinks that's a load of garbage? Can I just get two hands up, right? Like, whoever came up with that phrase clearly never talked to another person before. (laughs) Never had anyone say anything that hurt that person, right? We all know that the truth is words hurt, right? They, They cut down deep. But beyond words hurting us, maybe you have uh, experienced physical pain from another person, from a family member, someone who you should have been able to trust was uh, manipulative or abusive. And you know, and I know, what it's like to be hurt by someone else. Whether it's through words or actions or the way we do it today in the 21st century is, I'll just blow up your Facebook profile with a whole bunch of comments. I'll just come against you on that platform and just tear you down. We know what it's like to experience hurt and pain. Okay, that's kind of the the meeting place for all of us. Now today, although it would be so much better to talk about the person that caused us hurt and pain and just kind of focus on them and say, here's what they did wrong. Here's what they should have never said, should have never done. We are going to be self-aware. We're going we're gonna to look for, for these moments together at our response, our response, the controlled response that you and I have to the hurt and pain that was caused by another person or a group of persons. So here's another phrase that I'm sure you've heard before. Hurt people, what do they do? They hurt people, right? Hurt people hurt people. Sidebar grammar class. The first hurt is an adjective, okay, describing the person or people. The purple hurt is a verb, okay, the action that's taken, okay, purple hurt. So we we get hurt, we feel hurt, we experience hurt and pain, and our natural response is, I'm now going to hurt that person back, hoping that they get what they 
deserve. See, you knew it. You're all jacked up like I am. You knew how to finish that sentence, right? I'm going to hurt that person back. So if this is the natural response, do you know what the outcome of this way of living is? Family drama, right? It's a bunch of hurt people who are hurting one another. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to discover a, another option when we're hurt. Okay, we're just going to explore it together. And before we do, and before we get into Scripture, I really want you to lean in for this moment. Because I, I just want to say this, and I want you to just receive it. I'm standing up here with a microphone, and it can feel like I am completely removed and detached to your hurt and pain this morning. And I acknowledge that, just on the front end. I don't know uh, all of you. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know... Uh, most of you, I don't know your past. I don't know any of the pain that you came in here with. And I don't want to seem insensitive or unsympathetic to your pain. Is that all right? Can we meet there this morning? So I'm not going to just give you what I'd call bumper sticker Christianity that just takes a giant Bible verse and puts it on top of an open wound that maybe you have this morning. Because for many of us, the pain is, it's deep. Right? There might be some parental abuse in your story. There, there might be in your home, there was secrets, there was addictions, there was things that weren't discussed, and you're carrying that today. There's a sibling that stole from you, lied about it. There, there's family members that right now are actively tearing you down. They, they are hurting you with their words. Okay, so all of that exists in this room, and I'm not going to provide a, a, a quick fix or a uh, a one stop and shop answer to all of that. Okay, but what I want to do is I want us to look at a possible first step. First step that you might take today. No matter how deep the wound is, no matter how real the pain is, whether it's a few days old, a few weeks old, or for some, it's decades. Just been walking with this. What might move us from that? Because what we can all agree with is no one wants that right? That's not, what, that's not how you want to live. You don't want to wake up tomorrow and say, okay, the pain is still here, and my decision is bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and hate towards that person or people. You search deep. You're gonna, you, know, you don't want that for you. You don't want that for your children. So then what? And that's what we're going to explore together. Okay, so it's been a really rough start to this message. We're all kind of tense. Let's talk about another family for the next 15 minutes, all right? So just let your pain for a second. We're done. I'm done poking around. We're going to go to scripture, and we're going to look at another family. Uh, actually, the family we started talking about last week, Jacob's family. So if you were with us, we met Jacob, and Jacob was unloved. He was not the favorite son. He lied to his dying blind father. Uh, he stole from his brother. He was on the run with all of that unloved feelings, and he meets a young, beautiful girl named Rachel. And we saw that he looks at her, and really he, he surmises, ah, Rachel will fix me. Rachel will fix the feeling of unloved. I didn't get it at home. I'll get it here. And as we read his story and saw it unfold, we found out the first truth that we need to know about God, and that is the love of God. Right? What we just sang about, how he loves us. And when we understand the love of God— we then understand it matters less, right? That was last week. The, the love that we don't receive from others, it still matters, but it matters less. Well, Jacob's story gets a little bit more tangled up. 
Hey, we, we met how he had um, the original TLC show, Sister Wives, way back in Genesis, okay? Leah and Rachel. Well, there was two more that entered the picture, everybody. And, and so Jacob has slept now with four different women to have 12 sons. Again, your family's not that bad, okay? Your, your drama's not that bad. Four women, 12 sons. And out of his 12 sons, he has a favorite. Now, how many of you, being a parent or not, would say, Jacob, not the best parenting strategy, okay? And don't pick a favorite here. I tell my son all the time, you are my favorite son. Uh, it's not that dramatic because I have one son, okay? Just, it's easy for me to tell him, you're my favorite son. I got to make sure I add the word son there or my daughter gets like, mm, what's he going to say next? But Jacob has 12 sons and Joseph is his favorite. So as a young boy, Joseph knows this about himself. And it's made obvious to his siblings because dad gives him this beautiful gift. Uh, Joseph is not described biblically, but I'll describe him this way, a tattletale. Hey, you read about moments where he would run and tell his dad about all the wrongs his brothers were doing. Again, not a great way to get your family to like you, Joe. Okay, just not the best strategy there. And Joseph is a dreamer. So he has these dreams as a child of one day his family bowing down before him. Not a bad thing. However, probably not the best thing to share at family dinner. Okay, just imagine that. There's moments where they're gathering around the table and there's Joseph saying, I dreamt about you guys last night. Yep, again, you were all bowing down to me. And mom and dad, you were there. The sun and the moon, you were bowing down. Right? Just drama around this family. And it gets to the point where the brothers decide we are done. We've had enough of this kid. We're going to bring some hurt and some pain to him for all that he's doing. And they're out taking care of the flocks, and Jacob sends Joseph to go check on them. And here's what we see the brothers saying as Joseph approaches. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Hey, just a little glimpse at the drama and the hurt and the pain that exists in this family. And as Joseph gets closer, a debate breaks out between the brothers. And here's their debate. Should we kill him or should we traffic him? Imagine that debate. Should we kill him or should we sell him as a slave? And they throw him into a cistern while they're arguing about what to do with this snot-nosed kid. They're just looking at him like, we're done with his dreams. We're done with him being the favorite. We're done with all of that. We're either going to kill him and lie about it or sell him and make some money off of him. And in the middle of their debate, slave traders come by and Joseph becomes a victim of human trafficking. And he's sold by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver. And they go home with his robe, cover it in blood, and tell their father, your boy's dead. And Jacob, he's a mess. He breaks down and cries. Fast forward, Joseph lands a job in Egypt as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And while there, Potiphar really likes Joseph. He is in charge of things. He's managing his household well. He likes him a lot. The issue is Potiphar's wife also likes Joseph a lot, but for different reasons. She, she looks at this young Hebrew boy and she wants to sleep with him. And after attempt and attempt to say, okay, have sex with me, sleep with me, 
Joseph, in one moment, runs out of the house, running from that temptation, and leaves his robe behind. And Potiphar's wife figures, if you're not going to sleep with me, you're not going to work here. And she screams, makes up a story that Joseph was trying to rape her. And when, he, when she screamed, he fled, and here's his robe to prove it. And Potiphar is furious and throws him in the king's prison, the Pharaoh's prison, where scholars believe Joseph spends the next 10 years of his life. So let's pause for a moment. Joseph, hurt by his brothers, pain, lied about, sold as a slave, hated, all of this, and he's now sitting in this prison. Now, I'm speculating for a moment, but I've got to think that there are days where Joseph feels that pain and thinks, all of this because of what they did to me. It's just speculation, but here's a person who day after day, year after year, is now a prisoner with no sight or hope of getting out. And it's because of the pain that his brothers caused him. He's a hurt person. And I wonder, again, just speculating, if he didn't think, if I ever see them again, man, they're going to get what they deserve. They ruined my life. Well, by chance, or I believe by providence, God's plan in his life, these two other prisoners start having dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams, and news gets to Pharaoh that there's this prisoner who can interpret dreams, which is good news because Pharaoh is having his own dreams that are freaking him out. So he calls Joseph out of the prison into the palace and says, tell me what these mean. And Joseph says, I can't do it. God can, and here's what they mean. We're about to have seven years of the best crops ever. I mean, this is going to be awesome. But then it's going to be seven years of nothing, famine. And he says, Pharaoh, like, you got to be wise here. And he looks at Joseph, says, well, there's no one more wise than you. You run this. He puts him in charge of Egypt. The wording says he is in command except for the name Pharaoh. Everything else now, this kid who is sold as a slave, thrown in prison, now runs Egypt. And for seven years, he's just building up these crops and storehouses. And sure enough, the next seven years are famine. And the whole world is coming to Egypt for safety. And about two years into that famine, you know who comes to Egypt for safety? His brothers. And they come before him in that room, and they don't recognize him. Because he's Egyptian now. There's eyeliner. There's a snake headpiece. He's, he's dancing. He's walking like an Egyptian. You know, he's, he's doing the whole thing. And they don't, they don't recognize this kid. And they're bowing before him. And the text is it's just so beautiful. We don't have time to read it. And so I encourage you this week to read Genesis 37 to 50. It's a, it's a long stretch of a beautiful story that unfolds. But they're before him and they don't recognize him. And Joseph recognizes them right away, the text says. What will this hurt person do to the people who hurt him? Not only that, what will this hurt person do who has the authority to do whatever he wants? And he would be justified. First, he would be justified to get even because after all, they hurt him. And in a society and a culture like we have today, when someone hurts me, I have the right to hurt them back. Joseph could have leaned that way. He would have been justified to do whatever he wanted because no one could say no to him. He could have had them thrown in prison, executed, whatever he'd like. And a hurt person 
will often hurt another person. What we see Joseph do is he spends some time getting to know his brothers because it's been years. He kind of messes with them a little bit to see, have they changed? Are they still self-centered? Do they care for each other? And after a few trips back and forth from Egypt back home, Joseph finally reveals himself to his family. And it's this beautiful moment of forgiveness, of love, of embrace, And then they bring Jacob back from the land and he comes and sees his son who he thought was dead for years, alive. And they embrace and Jacob blesses everybody and they all live happily ever after. Until. Because there's always an until. Because maybe for you, the pain of the past feels as though it's been dealt with until a family member passes and suddenly it's, all drama has been loosed because there was a will and you were in the will, but they weren't in the will. And now you're trying to navigate that tension, right? And once money gets involved, can somebody say drama, right? Okay, we're going to talk about that next week. That's the last part of this. How do we navigate greed and money in our family relationships? But for this family, Jacob dies, That's the until. They're all living in Egypt together and it feels as though things are right and the pain is dealt with until Jacob, the patriarch of the family, dies. And now we're gonna turn to scripture and see how the brothers manage the drama when dad's gone. Because suddenly things are starting to well up. So Genesis chapter 50, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please, we have Bibles in the back. We'd love to give to you. Uh, And if not, we'll have scripture up here on the screen. So here it is. All of Joseph's life wrapped up. Jacob's dead. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph, and I want you to say these three words with me, holds a grudge. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? A fair question. All the wrongs. The wrongs I just got done explaining to you. The wrongs of hating him, of selling him, of lying about him. All those wrongs. And notice their question, what if he holds a grudge? Now, scholars estimate that at this point in Joseph's life, he's probably in his mid-50s. So he was sold as a slave by his brothers at 17 years of age. This could possibly be nearly four decades later. And the brother's mind, now that dad's gone, is what if he's still holding a grudge? What if all of this, I love you, we're good, bro, I got you was all a front until dad passed away. That's their mindset. Because that's normal. That's a normal way to process pain and hurt. There's no way you could really forgive me for what I did. There's something there. You're holding a grudge. I looked up the phrase, hold a grudge. And it means this. Holding a grudge is when you harbor anger, bitterness, resentment, or other negative feelings. And here's the key words, long after. Long after someone has done something to hurt you. Now, 
What's great about Blaze Church is I know no one here has any experience at all with holding a grudge. That awkward chuckle reveals the truth. (laughs) We all know what it's like to hold a grudge. We all know what it's like, whether it's a few days past the little tiff, the little rift between you and your spouse, you're still holding on to it, or it's weeks, or it's months, or it's years, or decades. We all understand this, holding on to something long after the hurt has been caused. And what we tend to do when we hold a grudge is we hold on to the pain and the hurt, and it leads us to bring pain and hurt and drama. And for Joseph's brothers, 40 years later, they're still assuming this is how he's going to process that moment. He is going to hurt us. And so here's what they do. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, what did Joseph do? He wept. Joseph wept. What's interesting about this message is there is nothing in the text that really helps us decipher if it's true or not. There's one clue, and I'll I'll share it with you in a moment, but we don't know if the father, Jacob, actually left this message with the other brothers to give when he would pass away. We don't know. So if we assume that it's not true, look at what the brothers are doing. They are exploiting the grief of Joseph over his father to protect themselves. Now, maybe you have personal experience with that in your family drama where people tend to get a little more protective about themselves than considerate of the other person. The only clue that I see in here that causes me to believe that it may not have been an actual letter from Jacob is that Joseph weeps when he receives the message. Now again, we're going to suppose why he's weeping. I think he's weeping because what was once an open wound that had closed up and become a scar is now feeling as if it's being opened again. He's dealt with this. We read earlier in Genesis that he tells his brothers, I forgive you. And now it's being opened again. And maybe today for you, you might still have an open wound that needs tending to and care because it's so fresh. But maybe it's, a, it's scarred. It's a memory of the pain. But aren't there those moments that come that almost make it feel like the scars becoming an open wound again. And we're processing that. For Joseph, he's processing and he's weeping at the news that his father basically says, I don't believe you actually forgave them, so please, Joe, you've got to do this. You have to forgive your brothers. And he's weeping. So what will Joseph do? Well, his brothers come before him, it says, and they throw themselves down And here's what they say. We are your slaves. Notice the position that they want to hold with Joseph right now is not that of we're your brothers, we're your family, but they're being self-interested and trying to protect themselves and say, we're your slaves. Like, don't hurt us. Just forgive us. So how will Joseph respond? As a hurt person, he would be justified to hurt them back in this moment. And I want to show you three statements that Joseph makes that reveals the belief he has in God 
And that changes how he responds when he's hurt. Because remember, this series is not, here's five quick tips for you diffusing drama in your family. I mean, you can Google that. This isn't just a self-help article on how you can navigate the hurt and the pain. What we're doing is we're discovering truths about God that change our lives and how we respond. Last week, we discovered the truth. God loves us. And so when I'm unloved by others, it hurts, but it, it matters less. So watch the truth we discover in the response of Joseph. Here he is, totally justified to bring the pain. And here's his response. But Joseph said to them, first response, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Which is kind of a weird response. It's also an ironic one because most of Egypt, if he were to ask, am I in the place of God? Do you know what their response would be as Egyptians? Yeah, you are. You're chosen by the gods. You, you are a deity. They believe that Pharaoh was God incarnate in charge. And he's said Joseph is actually in charge. So ironically, the Egyptian response would be, yes, you are actually, which is why you can do whatever you want. But Joseph asks his brothers, am I in the place of God when their concern is that he is going to bring revenge for what they've done? Watch this. When you and I hold a grudge and decide I will give that person what they deserve, we assume the place of God in their life. Because what we say in that moment is I know what you deserve and I will make sure you get it. I will make sure you hurt me, I will make sure that you are hurt. You brought pain to me, I will cut you out and bring pain to you because you get what you deserve and I am God to you now. Now, if you don't know the God who has created all things and who is all-powerful and all-loving, then that would be, and I would even say should be, your response in that moment. But if you know this God who is creator and who is in control, then you do not have to assume the position of God to the person who has hurt you. But rather, as Scripture says, here's what Paul writes in Romans, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is a freedom verse. Because what this verse is saying is that for believers, we do not have to take the place of God in that person's life, but rather I am free to not bring revenge, but to trust the God who is always in control. God's got this. In fact, I want to ask you to just say that with me right now. Say, God's got this. What's this situation where if you're honest, you've actually assumed the place of God in that relationship instead of trusting? He's the God who will bring vengeance. He's the God. I, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible again. I feel like I read from that more than the regular Bible here with you, but I just can't help myself. Sally Lloyd-Jones says that in the end, God will make all the sad things come untrue. And it's the phrase we use with our children all the time. When they try to wrap their head around injustice and hurt and pain, we know that there is a God who will make all the sad things come untrue. He's, he's the judge of the world. But for many of us, we've taken on judge, jury, and executioner 
towards the person who's hurt us and brought us pain. And I know right now what you're thinking is, man, I gotta take a picture of that verse because I'm gonna start quoting that verse to the person who hurt me. That you wait for you, you're gonna get yours. Vengeance is the Lord's, God's wrath is coming. Some of you already got your poster boards, you're ready to go protest this. Okay, <laughs> calm down. Because of that, I need to read the next verse for what you are supposed to do as a believer. So if that's what you're thinking, please read on with me. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So instead of maybe bringing that verse to your family, bring him a pie. <laughs> just, just feed them, right? I'm just going to let that rest there and you determine how that plays out in your life. But here's the question. Are you trusting God to be God in this situation? Or are you taking the place of God? Joseph said, am I in his place? And the answer was no. Then Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. His second statement pushes against the two worldviews that are often adopted by people relating to God and hurt and pain. So the first worldview is because there's evil, because there's pain, because there's suffering, there can't be a God. It, it might be very pessimistic. God can't exist. After all, look at the hurt and the pain that I've experienced. If God was real, this never would have happened. This death in my family, this divorce in my marriage, this pain, this betrayal, there can't be a God because look at all the evil. Another view might assume the opposite and say, you know what? The evil's not really that bad yeah, it hurts, but um, I mean, God is good and all the time. God is good. And, and it's kind of like a dismissive of reality. And when you meet someone like that, you just want to give them a holy head slap with your Bible, don't you? And you make sure it's a study Bible too. Like you're like, come on, feel something real. Acknowledge the pain of this moment. Don't just, just wash over this with a Bible verse. So notice what Joseph does. He doesn't lean between either or he adopts a healthy view of both end. You meant this for evil, acknowledging that there is evil and pain and heartache in this world, but God can use it for good. It's a free worldview for believers to say, I'm recognizing the hurt and the pain and the lies, and at the same time, I'm recognizing God can use this. Not sure how. That's all right, let there be mystery. And Joseph makes this declaration and he doesn't even have what you and I have today. The cross. We have the cross. The cross is the moment in human history where the most, the most evil was on display. The murder and crucifixion of the innocent lamb of God. Evil. And yet, God uses it for the good of all. Notice Joseph's declaration. It's the saving of many lives, and yet Jesus came to save all lives, for all who will call on him will be saved. And so we look at the cross, this, this paradox of it is evil, it is wrong, how could they? The innocent Lamb of God, and yet it is through that moment that God brings salvation and justice. It's saying you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Paul again in Romans says this, and we no, not we hope, not we think, not we're trying to figure it out. We know 
that in all things, even the things where the intention is wrong and evil, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Another way to say, believers, you have a relationship with God, you are called on him for salvation. God works this out, whatever this is for you, for good, somehow. Joseph acknowledges that. Joseph's last statement. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. And he spoke kindly to them. What would cause, or let me say this, what would move a hurt person to say, I will be your provider? And we've already seen how Joseph has provided physically for them through grain, how he's provided now emotionally through forgiveness, how he's provided spiritually to point their hearts towards God. What is causing him to provide? He's a hurt person who should be hurting them. Ah, but he understands something. He's been forgiven. And so he's extending forgiveness. The way Paul writes it in Ephesians is, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Yeah, but how am I supposed to do that? You know, pastor, if you only knew what they did, you wouldn't just be up there saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. I can't do it. And I would validate that and say, no, you can't do it. And I can't do it. We forgive just as in Christ, God forgave us. The believer has the beautiful blessing of knowing the depth of our need for forgiveness from God. The way that you and I take a step away from hurt people hurt people is not that we try harder to forgive those who have hurt us, but rather we understand more deeply the forgiveness that we have been found to have in Jesus. We don't focus on the hurt of others. We focus on the grace and forgiveness of our God. If hurt people hurt people, I'd like to offer you this. Forgiven people forgive people. It's the call of a disciple. It's why Jesus said over and over and over again, forgive others. Forgive. It's even woven into the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have a debt against us. How amazing is that moment that he is the God who says, I've forgiven you, now you get to forgive others. And Joseph is living this out. It's not normal, but what do we do? We reject normal. We embrace kingdom. We live differently. For many of us, our family drama looks a lot like this. We kind of pull on one side and say, ah, it started somewhere, this hurt and this pain. I'm just not sure where. I may have even forgotten where. And the more we pull on it, the more it looks like a mess. <laughs> and we try and figure it out and say, it's got to be around here. That they, they did this to me. They hurt me. And it's tangled, and it's messy, and that's normal. It's a part of pain. It's a part of hurt. But you and I today, we have a beautiful opportunity to do something that's not normal. 
ask Josh to come up and, and Joe to come up and join me. Because I was going to call you guys up here in two minutes anyway, so just come up a little early. Okay, so Josh, why don't you take this side here? And Joe, we'll give you this part here. Okay, just hold on to that and I'll hold the messy middle. Okay, so this is, is, might be a good depiction of what family drama looks like in your life. You got on this side, this is you. You're just holding on to this. You remember the hurt and the pain and, and you just, it doesn't matter if it's a day old or decades old, it's still so real and you've got it. And on the other side is someone who's also holding the hurt and the pain. Maybe they caused it or at this point, it doesn't matter who caused it. It's still real and it's still there. And you know about it and your family knows about it. They especially know about it when they're getting a wedding involved and they have to do table seating and they know you can't sit with you, okay? Because you've got this side of the rope and you've got this side of the rope. Go ahead, give a little tug. Not so hard that anyone gets hurt. You guys got to lead us in music in a moment, right? So they're, they're just pulling on this and there's a little tug of war going on. And if we're honest, both of them are justified because they're both hurt to hold on. Here's the invitation as believers. Someone has to drop the rope. Joe, why don't you drop your rope? Joe didn't drop it in the 9.30, so I said he could be the Christian in the 11 o'clock. Someone has to drop the rope. And as believers, as those who have been changed by the forgiveness of God, we get the beautiful opportunity to display that forgiveness to others by dropping the rope. Thanks, guys. You can go ahead. We're going to sing in just a moment. If you want to stay up here, and Diana, if you want to join us as well. That's what it looks like when hurt people go on hurting people. We may even forget why we're holding the rope in the first place, but at this point, I've been holding it for so long. Why drop it now? I've never dealt with it, never acknowledged it, never talked about it, and it's just become a part of who I am. I'll say this to you. You were created on purpose for a purpose, and there is no way that God's purpose for your life is to hold on to unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness and anger, and every day wake up feeling that same pain. There is a God who restores and who heals. And today, my my invitation to you through scripture is this. Ask God this week what dropping the rope looks like for you. And I don't want to tell you what it should be. I want you to ask the Lord what it should be. Because for some of us, dropping this rope is going to be just beginning to pray for that person and not praying the first verse about God's wrath coming against them but just bringing them before the Lord. God, I just pray for this person. That's all you say. Start a softening in your own heart. For some, dropping the rope may look like writing, just journaling about it. It may be talking to someone else about it. Some of you are in a place where dropping the rope does mean picking up the phone to talk to the person. We're all at different places of how we drop this rope. The beautiful invitation to all of us is we get to drop the rope. We get to say, I've held on to the hurt and the pain and I'm going to take steps towards just dropping it.
So today is a moment of reflection, and we're going to sing a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And where you are right now can become an altar, which simply means a meeting place with the Lord, if you will just come to him. Just in this, this short, responsive chorus, to just say, God, here's the rope, here's the hurt, here's the pain. I don't know how to drop it, but I'm coming to you. I want to be healed. I want the drama to start to diffuse in my life and in my home and in my family. So I'm coming to you. I want to ask all of us to stand if you're able in this moment as I pray over you. And then our team's going to lead us to sing. Maybe you want to sit back down in that moment. Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to even just kind of come to one of these corners of this room where you might just connect with the Lord and say, this is the rope and God, I'm, I'm coming to you today for healing. I want to ask you though, if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, you're hearing about the cross about him paying the price for our sins. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Because Jesus did come for the saving of your life. And I want to pray with you. And as a church, we're going to pray. And if you want to know Christ today as your Savior, you want to say, Lord, I- I'm taking this moment to acknowledge my sin and your salvation. Say this prayer with us. So we simply say this as a church, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. He died in my place. I believe that he rose again so I could be forgiven. Today I surrender my life to you. You are making me new. In Jesus' name. Father, I do pray for every person in this space as we begin to worship you, that we would come to your altar, that you would begin to show us and poke around in our hearts the places of undealt with pain and hurt or how we have been dealing with it in a way that is it's not your best for us. We recognize that we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus and so we will forgive others. Lord, move us to that place where we drop the rope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.